Hey, everyone. Hi. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Alice. Hey, Reser- now. Greg, what are you doing here? Hey, what do you mean? What I- Allison, where did you, you come from, Greg? I came from the world of childish, and I just want to make sure that your listeners know that you're just as wonderful on the, on the other podcast you do. What if they don't have kids? Don't need them. You don't need them. A lot of our listeners actually tell us they don't have kids. We talk about sex. We talk about all sorts of dirty stuff, but also parenting stuff. Yeah, so. Check out Childish, new episodes every Wednesday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Everyone, hi, hello. Welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is Your New Best Friend. I am sitting here in the pod cabin without Tony, who insists on continuing to drum in his band and be on tour, even though I'm doing a series of recordings. I could use him. He's not here. Whatever. But I'm just going to soldier on. I'm sitting here with someone I'm very excited to talk to. We've already been chatting. We're already fast friends. I feel like we've already done a podcast worth of chatting before the official podcast. And we're going to do this one. And then I'm going to be on his show. It's Adam Ferrara, actor, comedian. He played Chief Needles Nelson in Rescue Me. He was the co-host of the U.S. version of Top Gear. He played New York PD, NYPD. I don't know why I'm saying part of it and... And abbreviating the other part of it, Sergeant Frank Varelli, and kudos to whoever put all your character names on Wikipedia, on Nurse Jackie. He has done a ton of late night spots. He hosts a new podcast called the Adam Ferrara Podcast, 30 Minutes You'll Never Get Back, except full disclosure, some episodes are more than 30 minutes. He's got two (laughs) comedy albums out, Unconditional and uh, the very recent Funny as Hell. Hello. Nice to see you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. We've been talking a lot before we turned the mics, because Tony wasn't there. Because Tony wasn't here. If Tony was here and turned the mics on, then we would have it. That's right. And full disclosure, when I first started doing my podcast... Tony was the first guy recommended to me. Me and my wife, we started doing a podcast. Tony came over to the house. We did our first episode. He edited it together. And clearly, Tony was the only one that knew what he was doing. <laughs> we, were, we were terrible. So by the time I figured it out, I was actually embarrassed to call Tony back and say, let's try this again. So. Like, what kind of terrible do you feel like you were? Because terrible comes in so many different varieties. Well, I, I, I'll take back to it. My wife was great. That calming voice and everything. I didn't know what I wanted to do or what I wanted to say or what I wanted it to be. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, so I'm I'm trying to make things happen with other people and it just doesn't work that way. When I finally figured out what I wanted it to be was actually my podcast. I wanted to capture a feeling. Mm. And the feeling I got when I was a kid, the best night sleeps I ever had was when I was upstairs and I heard my mom and dad and their friends downstairs laughing. For some reason, it was just comforting for me. Yeah. So I'm like, how can I get that feeling? So I do the podcast with my wife and my two friends, and we open up by talking about a topic, mm-hmm. and then we cut to a one-on-one interview, which you will graciously do for me, so I thank Very you for that. Very excited. You're welcome. Thank you. And like any good group of friends, we're going to talk about you when you leave. <laughs> so we have another section after the interview's over, like, wasn't that great? What did you learn and everything? So I, I'm very proud of it um, that I figured out what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like now I had the baby. Now I got to take care of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that can be... Uh, 
a, a curse and a blessing. Yes. Well, you, with, with the, I, was, I was listening to your podcast, mm. and, and you're a mother twice now. Twice now. God bless you. Thank you very much. Yeah, it seems to hurt that childbirth. Um, I d- the actual childbirth, I did not enjoy. <laughs> not a fan. And also the actual pregnancies, I did not enjoy. But mm. I very much am happy that I was able to have a couple kids. God bless so, you. So, yeah. Um, and they're the best. Just there are women who never felt better than when they were pregnant, and I'm not one of them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> not at all. So, so let's be glad that that's over with. Yes. Yes, except then a very weird – and by the way, don't think I'm not aware that you have turned the tables on me. What? Interview-wise. Um, mm. But – that's very good. That's 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 an Allison Rosen kind of move. Is that it? I kind pull, of. I pulled a Rosen. Yeah, <laughs> classic Rosen. I'm coming I, out to. I'm bringing in the Rosen. <laughs> um, I. A weird thing happens though, or has happened to me, where as much as so. As Elliot, my first was exiting my body. Mm-hmm. I literally had the thought, "I'm never doing this again." <laughs> Which and I I knew I and always stay out. <laughs> yeah. That's right. And then a few weeks later, I started to think like, oh, if I'm able to do it next time, I'll, you know, I think I'll try to do things differently. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I had Owen and that was a much better experience, uh, just the actual delivery. Um, But I never, you know, thought I would want more than two kids. And I I don't even think it's possible because it was, I did IVF and and, and I'm not young and I don't think it would even be possible for me to have another one. And yet I find myself thinking like, oh, wow, I'm never going to do it again. And that sh- thing and that, that I that hated. That you. Yeah. <laughs> that thing that I, uh, that I found very unpleasant. I'm never going to do it again. It's very mm. weird. Yeah. Like, I feel like that's just pure biology or being yeah, socialized. Yeah, maternal or- instinct and, and a human instinct to procreate. Yeah. And, yeah, and then – because you forget all that stuff. You always romanticize. It's like every time I go back to see my family in New York, I'm like, <laughs> I love you guys. And then after about an hour and a half, I'm like, oh, this is why I moved. You, I get it. Do you really have that happen? No, I get. I get. I, I love seeing my family now, and I've done a lot of work on myself to realize what was in my control mm-hmm. and what wasn't, and what this is, and, and how I fit into it now. So I can. I have a, a, a greater appreciation for life, and and a better gratitude of um, the love and support that I have. I, I can notice it now. Ooh, and I can see it now. How I would. I want to know how. You got to that point and what work you're talking drinking, about. A lot of drinking. Ooh. I start in the morning. No, no. <laughs> Wait, hang on one second though because I wanted to tell everyone at the top and then I forgot because I got so interested in talking to you. I pulled a Rosen. I'm sorry. <laughs> the Rosen had been pulled on me. <laughs> um, come see Allison Rosen's your new best friend live January 26th in San Francisco as part of San Francisco Sketchfest podcast January 26th which is a Sunday at 1 p.m. at the Gateway Theater. My guests will be Kirsten Bangs Nest, do you know her? Of I did, Criminal I did Minds? an episode of Criminal Minds with her. Oh, yeah. there we go. We got to talk about that. Uh, and also, I used to play in a band, and the old the band is getting back together to do a few shows at uh, my Sketchfest show, which is very exciting because uh, we broke up so long ago. So the fact that we're all getting back together again, that's we're called the Angoras. I'm very excited about that. There might be even another guest. Uh, and some, I just found out a lot of my old Orange County friends are going to be there. So if that's who you want to meet, which it is, people I've told stories about on the show, please come out. Uh, tickets at sfsketchfest.com. While you're there, make a weekend of it. The day before, Greg Fitzsimmons and I are doing our podcast Childish Live. Jessica Kirsten is our guest. We may add another guest to that as well. It's going to be super duper fun. Come out. Okay. Back to you and your heavy drinking. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I am I am doing it for for humor. I, I, yes. I'm not drinking it anymore. Uh, no, I I 
it was a lot of uh, 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 I guess a lot of work on myself and therapy, therapy, meditation, and um, and my wife. Mm-hmm. I just uh, I realized I wasn't being the best man I could be for her. And it's like, look at this woman. You're gonna Google my wife. She's beautiful. I'm batting over my head, Rosen. I'm telling you right now. She's gorgeous, right? right? And people see people out there and you know, people look at us when we're out together in public and they're going, He must have money. It's got <laughs> it's gotta be the money. Um so I wanted to just be better for her. I wasn't happy with what uh how I was. And did you realize on your own that you weren't the best version of you, or did she help you come to that realization? <coughs> Excuse me. Um no This is water for you, by the way, oh, thank if you're thirsty. You. Thank you. Um it was I, I didn't like how I, – I, I wasn't happy mm-hmm. um, and I would use work as a um, a distraction. Mm-hmm. You know, I work, just work, 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 work. Right. Um, and then when I had had a moment to figure out what the next thing was, I wasn't happy if I wasn't working. And I'm like, that's not good, especially in our business because you don't know when the acting work's going to come. You don't know when right. – so I said, that's not good. If you're not happy while you're working, you're not enjoying your life. Mm-hmm. You're just you're putting off what's bothering you. Yeah. So that's just that escape. That was the biggest realization mm-hmm. I have is I wasn't happy when I wasn't working, and I had all this. I had all these these great people in my life, my family, my friends, and everything, and I was like, yeah, this ain't good. Mm. So um, were you depressed? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. You, you're depressed, and then, then you're anxious, and then so I, I started doing the work and the therapy and everything, and 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 writing about it, and I realized what I was writing. It came out in the art. It came out in the stand up. Mm. And I would pitch it to my wife, and she's like, well, that's kind of dark. I go, you don't see the humor in that? <laughs> Apparently, she didn't. And she was right. You know, look, my, my wife is right a lot, and it's annoying. <laughs> now, this is – you were married before, though, no, right? No, first oh, time. Okay. I, I live with a girl for uh, – we I live with – I will live – apparently, I'm a serial monogamist. That's another mm. thing I learned about myself. So I, I live with a, uh, uh, a girl for like seven years. And okay. And that's – because there's a lot of jokes about her on – The first special. Funniest yeah. Hell. Yeah. Funniest Hell was the first special. Oh. It was, was actually my third special, but that was about her. And then oh. the album Unconditional after that. And I have another album coming out called It's Scary in Here, which will be out Got in Got it. Months. Okay. So this – so Funny as Hell, the date on – iTunes. They re-released it. Got it. Yeah. They, so I had the I had them, and then yeah. I was like, "Oh, you need to update." Speaking I don't own that one. So, so whoever owns website. it re-released it. I'm like, "Okay, great." So, okay. Yeah, but that, that that's All an right. older one. Um, but yeah, but it was coming out in the art. It wasn't. I the things I were writing, I was like, "Man, I got to address this." Because mm-hmm. st- stand up for me, that's the truth of it all. Right. You know, like I. I can't fix my life, but I can fix a joke, mm-hmm. and I can, I can, I can, I can fix that joke and turn it. And the laugh is the truth of everything. So I'm like, mm, okay, you might want to examine that, Chuckle Boy. <laughs> so, by the way, I relate a lot to that moment of uh, being a kid in bed and hearing adults laughing in the other room and it being comforting. For me, because it meant that there are people who are awake who can protect me if Mm -hmm. any of the things I'm afraid of happen, as opposed to like a silent house Mm. where I feel alone. Was it similar for you? No, I think for me it was hearing my father laugh and my mother laugh because they were so intense you know mm-hmm. they, they, they wouldn't have a lot of money they're always working and, and the parents project their fears onto the kids so you know you get all that and my father's trying to pay for everything mm-hmm. so to hear them laughing it was like oh it's safe like a reprieve he's happy yeah yeah and and there's people here but the, and there's a certain amount of there's someone downstairs that can protect me but mm-hmm. and my father had a laugh that would fill a room i mean just he was gleason my dad and <laughs> yeah you talk on on the um the wrong album that i listened to <laughs> 
You talk it's about not how your fault. It's a record company. <laughs> he w- but he was very rageful. Yeah, well, he was. He would. He would yell a great deal. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of in my family. There was a lot of react rather than respond. Mm. Respond coming from choice. React coming from conditioning. Right. And we were always conditioning like Adam. What? Fuck. You know. It's like <laughs> you, know, you know. There was that that vibration in the house. Um, Got it. And then when you leave the house, and you come back. You're like, oh my god. <laughs> you know, because you were born in in Oakland, right? I and, was. And but you lived in New York. Uh, yeah, I was born in Oakland. I grew up in Orange County, and mm-hmm. then I lived in New York for ten years. Almost ten years, and then I came back. Okay, now we. Well, when you were in New York, did you you saw the? I'm sure you you felt the pace difference, but did you feel any kind of emotional difference, or you adapting to it, to that environment? I was so, again. You're pulling a rose in. I'm so, okay. Well, what else? <laughs> I was surprised when I was in New York at how sobering, even though not even though most people were not sober at all. But I mm. found the tone of the city to be very sober people mm. were they had the like the intelligence and the ability to be funny but they it wasn't silly light absurdist playful which are all things i love it wasn't like the and i thought that's what i would find in new york mm-hmm. even though i love new york and i miss it and i i kind of wish i lived there now but it didn't feel that way and i remember talking to my landlord in brooklyn that's where i lived at the end and she said that things really changed after 9-11 and that oh, yeah. she wondered how much I, it was that that I was picking up on. I, was, I don't know. I, I think part of it could be that, but I also just think, you know, I spent all my time in New York just nervous about my career. And then I moved out here and my life became much more balanced. That is, well, there's, there's an expansion and contraction to life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in your 20s and 30s, you're out getting. You're yeah. going out to get. Um, and then as we get older and you have... You look back of like, okay, I got, now right. what? Right. Um, so the contraction is more or less, and maybe that's what I'm, I'm experiencing is the contraction of like, wow, look at this, look at this beautiful woman who loves me. What the hell are you upset about? You know, look mm-hmm. at, look at those people calling you to check on you. Right. That's, you know? that is tough though. When you are able to see all the things that should bring you joy, but you can't feel it. Cause then and I'm, I'm saying you, but I'm talking mm-hmm. to myself. Mm-hmm. Then I just feel like an asshole. Well, do you feel – and again, not to get Rosen on you. <laughs> Please excuse you, me. Per- permission to go Rosen. Thank you. <laughs> um, do you feel you don't deserve those things? No. Because you can, you can identify them. I don't feel like I don't deserve them. Okay. I feel like what – why am I depressed because I like – I want to think always that depression is situational. Like, oh, if it's this, this, and this. And if these things were mm-hmm. to change, then I'd feel okay. Um, and like I feel like I've – like I in my book, I have a joke that um, I am like a, a, a happy going – a happy, easygoing person who's just been in a bad mood for the last 30 years. Like, <laughs> That's a great joke. <laughs> thank you. Like I – and so – I had never um, been on antidepressants or anything like that because I felt like like I really believe in talk therapy. I don't need that. You know, I'm just a little bummed out for, because of this. Uh, but then after I had Elliot, I, I experienced some postpartum. Excuse me. Yeah, it's tough. 
I experienced some postpartum depression, and finally I was like, okay, I'm ready to. Yes, yeah, spin everyone, the hormone wheel. Like every everyone around me was on Lexapro or something like that. Oh, I was too. And they seemed better, so I finally was like, I'm let's. I'll take anything. Um, and so then I went on Lexapro, and, and now I look back and I'm like, I probably should have been on something a lot sooner mm-hmm. because I don't think it's just situational. I do Good. think it's just like a, it's just my wiring. It's a mood thing. But because I tend to always want to think it's situational when the situations around me are all positive and I still feel That's low, depression. Yeah, I feel like an asshole because yeah. it's like, I should be grateful. I should be mm-hmm. happy. What's wrong with me? The situation, that's when you said situational, I was like, mm, that's trap. Yeah. Cause not situational. Cause there's it, it, situational things. You, you feel like you can control. If I fix this, this yes. will happen. And it doesn't. I know. You gotta be from the, it's, it's the, you're trying to heal from outside in. Mm-hmm. You, you gotta heal from inside out. That's the thing I learned in, in, in the therapy. So when, um, pain in life is mandatory. Yeah, suffering's optional. <laughs> And we create our own suffering. Yeah. And if you want to take a Buddhist approach, there's the, the, the fear and desire. I need to get that. That's, mm-hmm. the, the, that's the expansion mode. I need to get that. What if that doesn't happen? And then the cycle starts. Right. You know, so if you can stay in the middle of it and kind of look at life like you're at a party and these waiters are coming by with the tray of stuff, you're like, mm, I don't want the mushrooms. That's the stuff with disappointment and regret. You know? <laughs> you know? A knish. Oh, lovely. You know, <laughs> so you can just wait for stuff to come back and forth and, and kind of stay balanced. Right. If that makes any sense. That, that's where I think where I'm at now, where I, I'm sitting in this place now, and this podcast helped me a great deal mm-hmm. because I'm doing it with my wife. And I had to learn how to – surrender is a tough word for me, especially mm-hmm. the Italians. We've never really won a war. <laughs> um, but it's, it's not surrendering um, yourself to it. It's, it's recognizing what is mm-hmm. and surrendering to what is, and that's the situational thing. And then, okay, what can I do in this situation? Right. So that's why uh, to, uh, to acknowledge the circumstances kind of helped me a great deal. I find that when looking at inspirational quotes and whatnot on Instagram. Want to hit it? I want to throw my phone. <laughs> oh, yeah. I do, oh, I do, I do want to throw my phone, and I do definitely think it's not helping me. But the ones that are like, get out there and hustle. Life's a hustle. You got to get out there and do more shit. Like those repel me. And the ones that I'm drawn to are the ones that are like, Everything that like trust in the universe. Oh, I don't have happen, that. Yeah. Oh God, I I I need. To, oh shit, I need to learn that. Okay. I my wife, my shrink, where my wife? Yeah. <laughs> oh, like, they're ganging up on you. But both of them, they're like, you know, you, you need you need to you need to trust have trust faith. Yeah. Oh, yeah, faith and trust yourself. Like, are you out of your? Have you not heard a word I told you? <laughs> I have a joke in my head. I can't trust me. I keep a journal and I'm lying in oh, it. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. You kidding me? I can't. So I don't have that trust of the universe, and I think a lot of it is is conditional from how I grew up. Was my dad was always he had, he had no support, so mm-hmm. he's like I got to figure out what can go wrong so I can guard against it. Mm. You know, I have to I have to watch out for the family. even when I walk with my wife, I she's on the inside of me. I always and I got if I have a a, a bottle of water or something, I hold that like a weapon. <laughs> I. <laughs> I look at the, I, if someone's coming up here, I pull her away from homeless people. I mean, I'm, I'm a horrible. I, yeah. I tell her, I said, listen, if this goes bad, I'm going to take this guy out at the ACL and I'm going to drive my phone into the bridge of his nose. Turn, run, don't stop. I'll be fine. Run. I'm, and she's like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> we live in Santa Monica by the beach. I walk around these beautiful houses they're building. I go, well, we can put snipers up there, honey. That'd be great. We could put a moat there. She's like, will you stop? We're not yeah. under attack. Right. Yeah. So. So in order to feel safe, you have to see any potential danger and have a plan. 
Uh, that, that's control. Excuse me, yes. That, that's, that's the control issue that mm-hmm. I have. Right. So to protect and everything. So yeah. have you, because I, I similarly, I think that's sort of hypervigilance and I have mm-hmm. some of that stuff too. What then becomes really unnerving is if some something happens that you couldn't have prevented. Yeah. Have you experienced that? Yeah. What? And, and, and everything I thought was going to happen <laughs> doesn't happen. Yeah. So basically everything that happens is shit I didn't see coming, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. The TV show got canceled. When did that happen? You know, right. I didn't see this coming. Right. Um, and not trusting in the future is always saying it's not going to work out because then I can't be hurt, mm. which is a juvenile approach and one that I had to put down. And I think part of the the appreciation I'm having for what I have now is the act of putting that down or the act of being able to separate from that that conditioned pattern. Mm. Does that make any sense? It does. It does. Um that's a hard thing to do. It's so kill- it it's was killing me. Through so let's talk about all your things you've done to work okay. on yourself. Okay, there, was therapy the first thing? Yeah, it was a lot of it. A lot of it w- w- was um, therapy, and a lot of it um, therapy, meditation, <coughs> a lot of books. Because like, mm-hmm. you know, we tra- as comics, you know, you travel, you know, you're on the road and everything. And I had that time on a plane, um, so I used to get audio books on cassette. Because oh, wow. I was driving in cars mm-hmm. all the time. I was driving up and down the East Coast. That's why I worked as a comic so much. I was, I was funny. Um, I was on time. And I had a car. <laughs> so that's why I would get a lot of work at it. Because all the comics in New York City didn't have a car. Right. So I used to pick them up at, uh, at the improv. It used to be on 44th and 10th. Mm-hmm. You pick them up. You drive to a shitty gig in Connecticut mm-hmm. or Jersey, wherever it was. And then you're supposed to drop the comic off at, at the improv again. But I'm like, you're going to get out of this car to get into a cab. Let me take you home. You're already in a car. I'll take you home. It's a car. So they would say, I want to work with Adam again. Because I gave him a ride home. I was on time. The car yeah. was clean. A um, couple of comics. Uh, Uber wo- before Uber. Yeah. Woman, woman comics I work with, they felt safe. So, Great. Mm-hmm. Whatever you want. So um, <clears throat> so during that time, I would listen to a lot of audiobooks because I'm dyslexic. Mm-hmm. So I can read and I, I do read, but it's, it's not as – I process quicker by listening. Mm-hmm. So all that time, I was working on myself. Do you remember any specific books that – that really had an impact. Oh yeah, on great you? book. I, I met my meditation teacher. His name is Dean Slider, um, and his book Natural Meditation I highly recommend because it demystifies a lot of things. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of Indian gods with a lot of vowels shoved together that I couldn't <laughs> say. But the theory of it, um, that that one resonated with me. There's a great book he wrote called Fear Less, mm-hmm. dealing with pain and anxiety. And there's an exercise. I'm going to butcher this, Allison. There's that's an okay. exercise for anxiety that's in that book uh, where you breathe. Through your feet, you actually visualize the breath coming up through your feet and then out through your feet. Mm. Um, and it's a grounding exercise. It works in like 10 seconds. And uh, it's actually on Oprah's website when the book came out. Oprah, Oprah picked up on that one, um, <clears throat> that, that, that one exercise in the book. But uh, that book is very helpful. It's called Fearless by Dean Slider. So, yeah, a lot of those, that stuff. And um, I quit drinking because I was getting really good at it. <laughs> How yeah. long ago? Um, I, I didn't. I still I, – I, let me rephrase. I, I didn't quit drinking. I cut down on it because mm-hmm. I didn't sleep well. Yeah. You know, and I like bourbon. And uh, you know, I still I – still, I got a bottle in the garage in a toolbox every once in a while. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I didn't sleep well and it didn't it – didn't, it wasn't helping. Mm-hmm. Basically, the party was – the hangover was lasting longer than the party. I'm like, hey, I got to go. Yeah. Yeah. And did you um, avail yourself of – uh, recovery program or was it just no I, 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 I'm not a friend of Bill's I know who he is I see him we wave <laughs> your acquaintances we, we have a couple of mutual friends <laughs> together right we don't hang out it was never that bad but I was like nah I gotta yeah, yeah. 
So you grew up in Huntington? I grew up in, in a state of chaos. <laughs> <laughs> Where was the Island. state located? Okay. It was on Long Island. I was born in Queens. I was raised on Long Island. Got it. Uh, and then you went to Marist College. Marist College in Poughkeepsie, New York. Yeah. Uh, the home of Bill O'Reilly, right? I don't know. According to Wikipedia, he went there. I, I think he went there before me. I, I went with Rick Smith, who played for the Golden State Warriors. Mm, I did not know that. Yeah. But I, I, he might be on the notable alumni. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and that's a small liberal arts college. Uh, yes? It was a sm- yeah. It was a small. Here's the thing. I went. I went. They accepted me, mm-hmm. and I didn't want to go to college. You know, but my, my father said, "You're going." Your mother said, "You're going." I go. Why do I got to go to college? He goes, "Because you can." Oh, it's, it's not the worst argument. Yeah, I'm like, you can. I go. What do you mean you can? He goes, "I work my ass off to give you a better life than the one I had. So pay attention because I'm getting tired and running out of money." So go get smart. Does everyone from Long Island say pay attention? Because my uh, an ex-boyfriend of mine had grown up in Long Island, and mm-hmm. his impression of his father always started with pay attention. Yeah. Pay attention. You it know was like, else? look and do. Yeah. I Pay attention I got. And the other one was my father when, when, he, when he would go, look at me. You. Look at me. That's when you knew. I don't know. <laughs> There's some shit going down. Right. Yeah. Do you do a lot of impressions? I, I do uh, – they're not impressions. They're more or less just their characterizations. Mm-hmm. Like I have a couple of voices that just live in my head. <laughs> you know, my mother and my father. My father – and it's funny because I was – every part I get, every acting part I get, I rehearse with my wife. Mm-hmm. And every character I'm playing starts out as a crime boss. Everyone. <laughs> Even the love scenes. When I, was, when I was doing the love scenes with Nurse Jackie's, I, I was just like, look at me. I love you. <laughs> Look at me. Look how much I love you. Because that's my defense mechanism. Right. Oh, that's so interesting. So I have to get through the words. I have to get it out the first time like a guy who's going to have you killed. <laughs> and then once I can get the words out and settle into what the emotion is, my machine has to feel safe mm. to know where it's going. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny. We talked about um, Criminal Minds. Right. Um, I did an episode of Criminal Minds where I played a father whose child was abducted. So mm-hmm. I, it was a crying scene. So I'm standing in the FBI office. And of course, Allison, that's the first scene they shoot, 8.30 in the morning. I got to be on set and start crying. And start and, with an easy one. Yeah. So I had to do that. So I discovered about, and I rehearsed it with my wife, and, I, and I, I felt confident. I discovered that getting to that emotion is fine. It's coming back. Mm. It's like, what's in this box, Pandora? <laughs> you know? so, right. so that's the first scene up. But I got two other scenes that day. And I'm still a twitchy mess mm-hmm. getting that out because it goes against the comic instinct of wanting to – and the codependent instinct of wanting to take care of everybody. Right. Like everyone has a spidey sense. I'm sure you have it in an interview like, oh, this is going off the rails. Mm-hmm. You can sense a room and then instinctually I'll make everybody laugh to be the emollient mm-hmm. to calm the waters and be the comic relief. So that's just in the, in the, in the machine. Mm-hmm. So to get to the part where I can be vulnerable and cry in front of camera and stuff, I got to get past that. Right, right. So, and like the goal is to be affecting other people. Yeah. That, that's – it's funny you say that, that was a Degas. I don't know where you come down on French Impressionism. Mm. I find it a little wispy. But <laughs> I, I, I like I the respect of the light. But still, who are you kidding? <laughs> but uh, Degas said it's not an artist's job – I'm butchering this too. It's not an artist's job to paint what he sees. It's an artist's job to paint what he can make other people see. Mm. What a pretentious – Yeah, isn't that bullshit? Adult. But, but what it does was it like, oh, okay – 
I need to, for you to see this. So mm-hmm. I have to be this way in order for you to see this. Right. And it helped as acting. Like I have to be open and vulnerable mm-hmm. and crying because my, my daughter has been abducted. So uh, what you sign up for as an actor was I'm willing to put myself in this position so you can see what the writer wants you to see, the director mm-hmm. wants you to see. Do you feel like acting and stand-up are at odds with each other? Initially, yes. Initially, yes, because... And I had this fear, and a couple of guys I spoke to uh, had this fear, too, about learning how to act, is we're afraid we're not going to be funny anymore. And I'm not speaking the universal, just, mm-hmm. just my group of friends. Right. I'm not speaking for all, but I was afraid I wasn't going to be funny anymore. Because when you're on stage, you're a kid, it's that it's, you're out there, you're getting, you're doing, like, oh, my God, look what I can do. I don't want to screw this up. Mm-hmm. So that's the mentality. I don't want to screw it up. I, don't teach me anything, because then I won't be able to go back and do this. Um, so that was the at odds thing. But as as you get more comfortable in a different uh, a different medium or hitting a different club out of the bag, you're like, oh, these complement each other. It helped with my writing mm-hmm. when I when I started acting more. It helped with my writing because I wasn't seeing stand up or a funny situation from my point of view. Mm-hmm. I was seeing it as a scene because I was conditioned to look at what was my part of the whole as an actor. And then that opened up the door, like, what's my part of the whole in the scene that I want to present to this audience in a stand-up setting? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, why I play, that's why I play my father's voice and my mother's voice. I'm just doing that little scene. Right. And how did you learn to act? Uh, I studied with Stephen Book. He's actually right here st- and teaches great acting course, Stephen Book Acting Academy. Uh-oh. What? I've lost, I've lost my question. What? You want me to rosen you? No, no, no. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> no, there's no cause for rosening. <laughs> oh man, what was it? It was right there. It was. Oh, I know. Mm. When you had to cry because your child had been abducted. Yeah. Um, what is your process for that? Um, is there something specific? The, well, you the think first of? is there's a physical. The first step is the the first step in is you break it down. Okay, this is where in this air arena. When I get to this line, he's got a breakdown. So <clears throat> I know where it's going to come up. Um, so you'll you'll do your moment before you'll get yourself in a, an emotional place to get there, <clears throat> and then there's actually. But like, is and and sorry, I just cut you off. Mm. To get the emotional place you get into to get there, is there something specific you think? Yeah, about? physically, I start with the physical body first. There's a breath pattern. Mm. Um, do you breathe through your feet? No, you, <laughs> yes, my feet start the sadness. <laughs> um, no, there's there's a breath pattern. Like if you staccato mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Excuse me. If you staccato in and exhale out, and that that's that's if you find next time you're crying, look at the way your body, right. the physical manifestation of it. So I'll start with the physical manifestation of it just to get the machine running. Mm-hmm. You know, you turn the engine on and you put it in that mode. Um, that starts the machine running, and then you've rehearsed it enough when it comes to shoot day that you know I'll keep like you can't just start off. I'll wake up in the morning. I'm like, all right, I got to get, start getting into this. Mm-hmm. So you start getting into. It, as you're driving to work, as you're doing this, as you're brushing your teeth, and you just keep it simmering. Do Start you, the breath pattern and then wait till it's your close-up. Don't blow it in the master. <laughs> <laughs> Don't blow it in the master. Are there <clears throat> specific I'm, – I'm, <clears throat> I'm, asking, I'm asking for the behind-the-scenes uh, info. Are there specific sad things that you will think about, though, oh, yeah. in your own life? Yeah, I can, I, can, okay. I can put my dad dying and I can get – when my dad died, I can go right back there. I can go right back. I, it's not going back to my. I can look back at saying goodbye to him. Mm. There's two. There's two instances where I can draw on. One 
was I was it was it was a tumultuous time in my family, and it was a lot of uh, yelling because that's how we process. But we all <laughs> love each other, right? So I was they drove me to the airport to Kenya. I was getting on a plane. I was doing stand up somewhere, and my father got out of plane, and he was he was older then, um, and I was standing on the curb, and it was a it was a, a heated exchange, and I kissed him on the head told him i loved him but i was still angry but that was the first time in my life because i was standing on the curb i was ever taller than mm. him i was physically taller than my dad and i was looking down on him mm. and i was comforting him yeah that was that's almost like a lion in winter you know you're like ah. it was I, i'm glad i could do that for him but it, it it definitely signaled a change or a a a advancement of life mm-hmm. so that one always gets me a little bit and then just actually saying goodbye to him my, my dad died in a chair that i bought him <laughs> that big electric chair <laughs> with he went out the way i want to go out he had, he had my mom dad i was i was holding his hand and i kissed him on the forehead mm. and said it don't hurt no more pop so i can i can go back to that yeah moment. how did he die he had bladder cancer um and he fought it the whole way mm-hmm. you know mm. i'm so sorry yeah Okay. But really, and, how far, how any far, other questions you want to ask Rosen? <laughs> this is why I Rosened you early. <laughs> Taking me down this dark hole here in, in the recording hut. <laughs> oh, recording hut. hut. That's good. You want hut? We were in search of a nickname for a long time for this place. What do you got? The cabin? Pod cabin. But Pod cabin. I like recording hut. Huts? It's like we it's could funnier. also sell sunglasses. It, it gives me a tiki lounge feel. Yeah. We should have drinks with umbrellas. I know. You know, my, my mice building a studio in the garage. It's called Abbey Normal Recording Studios because I have the Abbey Road of the Beatles mm-hmm. on one wall. Um, <coughs> excuse me. And I'm a Mel Brooks fan. We're at Abbey Normal, the brain. So right. we named it Abbey Normal. Three garages. Not one of my cars are in the garage. Do you have a bunch of cars? I don't have as many as I'd like. I don't have the budget of space. <laughs> um, I got- uh, But you're I, a car guy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love cars. I, had, uh, I just sold my, my uh, 70 Deuce and a quarter. It was a 70 Buick Electra 225. It was huge. 18 feet, five inches. Wow. Gorgeous. It was a coupe. So I dropped it. I painted it black cherry metallic. I smoked out the windows. Mm. And I drive around Santa Monica and I play Parliament Funkadelic and scare white people. <laughs> How many cars do you actually have? I have three. Well, I had I have two now. I had three. I had that one. I have, a, I have a 1990 LS400, which was the first year that Lexus came out with it. Mm-hmm. So I, I dropped it. I murdered it out, which means everything is black on it. Mm-hmm. Black wheels, black everything. Oh, I like this terminology. Oh, yeah. I murdered it. And murdered I drive around it. like the Yakuza. <laughs> Why lowering it? It looks meaner. It's, so it's just aesthetics? Uh, well, well, yeah. You lower it to aesthetics. It looks meaner. It's a low rolling thing. It's mm-hmm. a low and slow. Right. Yeah. And then you hit speed bumps? You scrape You don't hit the them bottom? quickly. Yeah, you can't. <laughs> You don't hit them quickly. You put a little boral exhaust on there. <laughs> what did your dad do? My dad, excuse me. My dad, uh, my, my grandfather was a plumber. And my, he went into the plumbing business. And he took the plumbing business and turned it into kitchens, bathrooms, designed. Um, and he would, uh, he would design everything. He, was a, he did a, a custom kitchens and bathrooms. And he did it on his own. Like my, that was the thing about my dad. He was very creative. Mm-hmm. But he was... Uh, he wasn't given the opportunity to give full voice to that creativity. That's why he kept pushing me to do what I wanted to do. Like my, fa- my grandfather was a plumber, and that's all he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. He's like, we got, we got the trucks. We're doing great. We figured, it, we, we figured this whole thing out. What do you got to know to be a plumber? Shit don't go uphill. There. <laughs> We've mastered it. <laughs> but my father had that creative gene. Mm-hmm. He wanted to be inventor, my dad. He, oh, wanted, wow. he would tinker and stuff, and he made our toys. He made our furniture. He built 
our house on Long Island. That's we left so cool. Queens, and he he built the whole house. I came home one house. I come home one day. My mother, my we had a front lawn, and my father wanted a circular driveway. Mm-hmm. And I heard the arguments again upstairs in the bed. I want to say, Louise, we're getting sick. Why? Because I don't want to back up. This is the one. Thing. So, we, oh my god, I never put it together that that's what a circular driveway affords you. Yeah. Oh, I wow. don't want to back up. I just thought up. they look fancy. Nope. He didn't, my father didn't want to back up. I, I love that. So <laughs> we come home one day. The house is ripped apart. The front wall is off. It's got a tarp on it. And there's, there's a, a small bulldozer on the front lawn. <laughs> I come home from the school bus, dropped it off. My father's on the bulldozer. And he's cutting the circular driveway. Wow. So I'm riding on the bulldozer with my dad. I go, this is great. That night at dinner, we're eating. And I go, Pop, when did you learn to do that? He goes, oh, what would learn? I went to the bulldozer. <laughs> we're doing it now. <laughs> that approach to not how hard could it be, go, we're doing this now. Mm-hmm. That's something I got from my father. The fear of, oh, what are we going to do? This isn't going to work. Don't try. I got from my mother. Mm. So I got those two things going on in my head. Right. It's like my wife. Anytime breaks something breaks in the house, my wife wants it fixed but doesn't want me to do it. <laughs> Until I do it. Mm-hmm. And then like, she's okay with it. And yeah. she's not really okay with it. She's nervous the entire time. Uh-huh. It's like uh, the, the, the garbage disposal got, got stuck. So I'm at ah, garbage disposal stuck. Let me see what I – no, no. Call the guy, my, my <laughs> wife. Call the guy. No, no. I go, ah, let me look. I called my cousin mm-hmm. and I said – I called my guy. Scotty, how drunk are you? He goes like – one to ten? Yeah. I'm a soft eight. Okay, walk me through this. So I got the wrench and you know, because I come from mechanical people. I right. don't I don't have that in my head, but I that's my family. Right. So I fixed the too. garbage disposal and my wife was like, Oh <laughs> well. Uh, and, and and stuff like that. She she has faith in driving, she has faith in me. We're driving up to uh you you from Oakland. My my wife was from San Francisco. Mm. So you know the Tijon Pass when you get up when you drive from L.A. If you ever driven up there, it gets in the wintertime, It gets snowy because mm. of the elevation. So there was snow and it was ba- everyone was backed up. I was doing Top Gear at the time, um, so the lines on the road are just a suggestion to me. <laughs> so she's like, "Oh, it's snowing. It's wet. It's, what are we gonna do?" I said, "Hold on." And I went on the other side of the road. Oh my god! And I just drove past the traffic. Because it's like, um, that's what you, it, it was second nature because I've been doing this on TV. Yeah. So I went up around, I drove up, I went over the grass, no one, because they were all, and people started following me. Yeah. And my wife was actually like, yeah, that's my husband. She did the, that's my husband dance. <laughs> so I got my, I got to bang my chest. Right. I'm taking care of the wife and everything. <laughs> and she's like, that was good. <laughs> okay. But she was nervous the whole time mm-hmm. screaming. Yeah, I would be too. Yeah. Uh, when did you decide you wanted to pursue comedy? <clears throat> I got, excuse me, I was always, I was a funny kid, um, but I didn't know you could make a living at it. I went to college, like I said, because my father said, my mother said, you're going. Mm. Okay. So I, we got out of college. And and what did you major in? I have a, I have a degree, in, allegedly, <laughs> I have a degree in finance, a minor in communications, what they tell me. I, Allison, I got out of college doing the tutu, baby. <laughs> doing the ballerina. I got <laughs> out with a tutu. So, um it was funny because my mother was crying. Yeah, I'm so proud of you. My father shook my hand and went, boy, you bullshitted these people. Let's go home. Um, so I got out of college. I started doing stand-up. And uh, I never knew that you could – I never got permission to do mm-hmm. this because it was like you're a working guy. You're this, you, you are what you see around mm-hmm. you. But my friends, um, Opie and Anthony, Anthony Kimia, oh, yeah. uh, I they were my friends, my childhood friends, still are to this day. But they were in a band and they were out there doing it. And they were chasing this dream. And I was part of it because I was helping with the lights and everything. Mm-hmm. But I was like, wow, 
they're doing it. And they had their own apartments. I was still living at home. They had their own apartment and they were out there working towards something. And I was, and we were friends. And it was like, I got permission, unspoken permission to chase what I wanted to do through them. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, you can do this? So I, uh, I went to an open mic um, and I got my first agent a couple weeks later because they, they booked the club. And I was funny and I had a car <laughs> and I was on time. And uh, I started working. And it was, it was at that time where everyone had a TV show and mm-hmm. bar owners figured out that comedy is cheap to produce because mm-hmm. they pay you right out of the register. You know? You're going to turn right. off the Papa Squat basketball? Let's see how funny you are first. You know, so. <laughs> and how old were you at that time? <clears throat> I'd be what, 1920? So you start doing stand-up. I mm-hmm. didn't realize you were friends with Opie and Anthony. Yeah, yeah, That's really Anthony, cool. Anthony, give me a, <coughs> excuse me. Yeah. Uh, and are, you're still friends with them? Yeah. Yeah. S- have you done their show? Did you oh, do yeah, their many show? times. Many times. Yeah. Um, they would break my balls about the uh, the Olive Garden commercial I did. <laughs> Hospitaliano. <laughs> and, and for the record, the Olive Garden is not a real Italian restaurant, even though I did it. No self-respecting Italian restaurant is going to have a window that big so people can drive by and aim. <laughs> you know, I've talked to friends about this. There's many of us who did mm. not realize the Olive Garden was such a joke for a long time. I did. No, I think a lot of people did. I'm just mm. saying I didn't realize no. it was. So what you did, but you did, how, how did you feel about doing the commercial? So here's, here's the funny thing. I, I get the commercial. I was a kid. I get the commercial. Yeah, when did you start? Oh, I was, uh, Opie and Anthony were still on WNEW. So mm-hmm. they, they were still on New York radio. So God, when was that? It had to be early 90s. Maybe. Mm-hmm. So I get the commercial. <clears throat> they offer it to me. And uh, I'm home, and my, my, I'm talking to my dad. I, go, I don't know, Pop. I'm an artist. I don't want a panda. <laughs> and my father goes, what you? He goes, what you? you're an artist. You want to be an artist? Go rent the loft and be misunderstood, all right? <laughs> you need to eat. And what are you worried about? It ain't like it's a real Italian restaurant. <laughs> all this all, never-ending salad. Salad? They're not marketing to Italians. That's not an enticement. It's a punishment. Take the money. Because it's true. Italians mm-hmm. don't want salad. We want meat, cheese, and pasta. <laughs> What do you want for dessert? I want insulin. That's what I want for dessert. <laughs> so you're doing stand up, mm-hmm. and then when did and then were commercials next? Like what was? I your only episode? did one. Oh, I did two. I did a, I did the Olive Garden commercial, and then I did a <coughs> excuse me, I did a commercial for some breakfast cereal, mm-hmm. um, and then that was it. Then I stopped going on them. Why? Because they would just they were demoralized. You walk in. It was. I don't know if you have, you've been on a, you've been on a commercial. Oh yeah. So I did, never booked a one. Yeah. So uh, there was one. Uh, Abbott Kenny in, in Santa Monica, mm-hmm. there was that whole big commercial agency. There was a big round desk in the reception area, and the studios were all around. There was actors mumbling to themselves. Everyone looks like Luca Brazzi, you know. <laughs> I hope their first child's a masculine child. Was, <laughs> so I walk in. I was a kid. I walked in, and there was, there was a lady behind the counter. And uh, I had my head shot and everything, and I got my, my all dressed up, mm-hmm. ready to go for this Wrigley gum commercial, <laughs> right? So I walk in. I give him my headshot, my resume. I said, hi, my name is Adam Farrar. I'm here for the Wrigley's gum commercial. Uh, and she looked at my headshot. She looked up at me. She looked down at the headshot. She looked up at me and she just went, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, I got to go. <laughs> yeah. So I got called in. I got called in for a commercial for uh, a car because mm-hmm. of Top Gear. So they called me in, <clears throat> excuse me, to see me for this commercial. And I walk in and there's you know, a bunch of... Millennials and stuff. I walk into the casting agent and uh, she looks up at me. She goes, oh, you're a man. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah. You're like, oh, okay. Let's read it. I'm like, what am I doing here? Right. Yeah. So. Uh, So when. Okay. So 
couple commercials, then you stopped going on them. Yeah, no, I stopped going on. I got, I got very my my acting. <clears throat> excuse me, my, the acting part of my my career, I was very pleased with because I came out here to do um, the Tonight Show mm-hmm. uh, for do stand up, and I got a gig on a Fox show called Flying Blind with Corey Parker and Taya Leone. It was a sitcom, and I played. I, I had a guest star role, and I got it. And I was—I remember I had so much fun, mm-hmm. and it was like, wow, I really want to do this. And that's when I went into acting because I was like, there's a whole bunch of stuff I need to learn here. I'm—I'm I'm good in this role mm-hmm. for what I know, yeah. But I knew that I didn't know. I see. There's a lot of things I didn't like. Uh, hit that mark, open up, camera left. I went, shit. I don't even know what that, <laughs> that means. Right. Yeah. Right. So that's when I—I uh, I, I went to acting and. Um, I got lucky when I met Dennis Leary because <clears throat> the uh, the first show we did together was called The Job. It was a cop show on mm-hmm. ABC. But I got the opportunity to act with really good actors. Right. And you get good quick because you have to. And you get to do drama because Dennis wrote – it was single cameras. There was no audience. So it mm-hmm. wasn't just jokey, jokey shit. You got to do drama and stuff. So I got that training and – I got to do that. Then I got to do Rescue Me. Then I got to do straight drama. Um, you know, you Law and Order. You, I played a bad guy in Law and Order. Oh, um, who did? Wait, was it straight Law and Order? Or was it Law and Order SVU? No, it was straight Law and Order. Okay, I probably yeah. wouldn't have seen it then. I feel like I've seen all the SVUs though. Yes. Oh, you like Mar- Marishka? I do. I haven't watched in a long time, but I mm-hmm. went through like a phase in New York where I'm like, I've decided I'm not going to date people anymore. I'm just going to stay home and watch SVU because. <laughs> It uh, doesn't affect my mood in such yeah. a negative way. That, that, that's, that's the binge watching before there was binge watching because yes. they were always on. Yes. NCIS is like that too. You can always, And Forensic Files on, on uh, used to be on Court TV. Now it's on Headline News. Right. The first time I ever saw Law & Order SVU, I thought it was some weird, like very cheaply made show from the 80s mm-hmm. that I happened to find entertaining. And then I'm like, no, it's a huge show that's still on. And that was the first run. It was funny how it struck me the first time and then mm. I stopped seeing it that way. Yeah. No, this was the straight Law and Order. Law and Order. Um, and uh, yeah, I played, a ba- I played a pedophile. Oh. So I'm going to, yeah. So I get the first acting gig. This is when it was on Network okay. at 10 o'clock. So I told my mother, I got an acting job. She's all proud. She invites the whole neighborhood. <laughs> she made a lasagna. She's wearing a corsage, the whole thing. Right. So they're all down in the basement and then dun dun. Sorry, Adam for <laughs> That's his name. They spelled it right. <laughs> you know, Irene Falco's all happy about it. Everyone in the neighborhood is sitting there. I come on and I'm, I'm, I'm the bad guy. Yeah. Silence. Silence. My mother calls me up. I was, I was in LA. Um, why didn't you tell me you were playing a dirty baby toucher? I had everybody here. You know how embarrassed I am? I couldn't even take the garbage out. I made your father drag out the pails. I don't want people to see me. He's yelling. Jeez, how was that playing a, a pedophile? It was, it was, I just played, I was, it was the Michael Jackson storyline. Oh, I did. Oh, maybe, yeah. maybe I was the guy on Saturday. Night, I was the guy on Saturday Night Live that had a, a questionable. I rode around on an ice cream truck to get to get kids. And okay. I, I was the Michael Jackson storyline, so yeah. I got that gig. Um, so yeah, so that was a straight drama, creepy drama. Mm-hmm. Then um, then I got to do uh, romantic lead stuff with Edie Falco mm-hmm. and Nurse Jackie. So I I've been very fortunate where one job has given me the opportunity to practice for the next one. Right. Uh, and it's been coming in nice increments. And then, then you do like, I just did a, a movie um, with um, Emma Roberts um, and Hayden Christensen, uh, Little Italy. It was a straight, like my big fat Greek wedding with mm-hmm. Italians. And so who do you play? I play, uh, I played Emma Roberts' dad. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I played Sal. Alyssa Milano played my, my wife and her mother. Um, Danny Aiello, 
Oh, he just cool. passed away. Danny played my father-in-law. Andrea Martin played my mother. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Nice. And we shot in Canada. And we and we all lived together on the set because it was a six-week shoot. Mm-hmm. So it was nice because we all got, got very close. And that was a fun to do. So you said that you came out to do Tonight Show. Stand-up, yeah. Got a part on Flying Blind. Yeah, like you auditioned while you were out. Or yeah, I was out for it? a couple of weeks. I, I was I used got that it. as you know when you come I'll come yeah. out do this and stay because they, they're seeing people. Yes. So you know, and so that's what yeah. you're doing. You know. Nice. And then it's you decided you're just going to move out here. No, I got a deal. Uh, I came out. I did that. And then I got I got a uh, a development deal. Um, <laughs> excuse me. So I left New York and I came mm-hmm. out here. You know, just ride this development deal out, right. and then that didn't go, and then I got another one, and then you start working, and you know, you, you know the way it is. I do. This my- show business is like migrant farm workers. This, <laughs> the sun is shining over there, Papa. We'll find work. Let's go. <laughs> so during all of, uh, d- did your stand up performing slow down when you were on the various shows? Well, you're yeah, well, wait. Are you on a show now? On Why Women Kill on CBS All okay. Access. Um, <clears throat> uh, it only slows down because of time. Mm-hmm. You know, I was when I was doing Top Gear, I was doing Top Gear and Nurse Jackie at the same time. So that time where I wasn't doing Top Gear, I would go out on the road and do stand up, but I couldn't because I had to be on another set. Right. Good problems to have. Yeah. You know, but but then you know now when I'm going back to stand, that's why I, I got these two albums out. I'm like, I got to get back to work. I got to mm-hmm. get back to doing something. So uh, we started the show by talking a bit about your realization that. When one thing ends, you're just like, where's the next thing? Because you can't – I'm now putting words in your mouth, mm-hmm. but I'm going to guess because you have trouble being still with your thoughts. I have thoughts. trouble being still my thoughts. I have trouble sitting in uncertainty. Mm-hmm. It's very much a control issue for me. And and the the double, um, the the weird thing is, is uncertainty is where possibilities exist. Yeah. So uh, I'm so – or, or I'm, I'm weeding out being totally identified with what I do. It's very, um, it's it's very American. It's very, you know, what mm-hmm. do you do? You know, it's like what do you do is who you are, right? And you can't because if you can't do that anymore, now you don't know who you are. Mm-hmm. And that for me, that was a long time. You know, you identify yourself as a comic, as an actor. That's why I always wanted to do one thing because then I would know. You right. Know, when you do different things, like this whole podcast thing, it took me a while to come up with my podcast because I didn't know who or what I wanted to do or, mm-hmm. or how would I be in that space, and I don't want to go there. Right. But now that I have, I'm glad I did because I get to do it um, with my wife. And I get more – I'm creating more uh, – m- m- my creation process now is not coming out of fear like it usually did mm-hmm. as, as, as a younger artist. You, now I'm creating and I'm, I'm enjoying the process more. So it's more fulfilling. It's more satisfying. What made you want to do a podcast? I want. I didn't want to do another. I didn't want to. I didn't want to take another couple of months and write a movie that no one's going to buy. <laughs> I don't want to write another TV show that people go. Yeah, but is that a thing that you've? Yeah, I got. That- you, you write stuff and it, we it, it gets to a certain point and then well, if you get someone attached, then we'll. Right. There's no control. There's there's a barrier to entry. Right. For that to see a life, what made me want to do a podcast was, I can do it and it will have a life. Mm-hmm. It will get out there. It, there's, I can just do it. It's just my work and there's no one stopping me from putting it out there. And I've listened to podcasts and they've brought me great comfort on the road because they – I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. And that's what opened that door for, well, what do I want to give back to this podcast community? And there was that feeling when I was a kid that was very comforting and it was something I look forward to every week. Mm-hmm. Like I have my podcast. Every, hey, I listen to yours, Corolla's, uh, Fitzsimmons. You know, I was – Greg was a friend of mine and he did the show for me. So it's like – I want to be able to give provide for somebody what you guys have provided mm-hmm. for me, if that makes any sense. Oh, well, that makes me feel good. <laughs> <laughs> Take a couple of bucks out of petty cash, Rosen. <laughs> 
Um, you were saying yes. <clears throat> that you've been trying to figure out who you are outside of work. Yeah. Which is a very, I, I feel like that's like, to, to, to be like, I exist, I'm not just my ego. That's, mm-hmm. a, that's a very advanced, I think, uh, or evolved, you know, way of being. Well, let's see it works out. I could be an asshole. <laughs> You recently had Jay Leno on your show. I did. And you asked him, how do you see yourself? Yeah. Jay Leno's mother, Jay, Jay, Leno's, Jay Leno's mother's uh, favorite poet was Robert Byrne, mm-hmm. who was a poet that you know, I, I knew when I was a kid. Gift to girls, a gift to gears, to see ourselves as others see us. And I was like, wow. He's, so I asked him. That's why I asked him, because I knew that about his mom. Mm-hmm. And I really, he identifies himself as a comic. He still does. Yeah, he was kind of like, what do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> he had a little bit. How- Male, Caucasian. <laughs> right. Hair used to be black. That's what he said, yeah. I think, but the vibe I got from that exchange was he was kind of like, I don't, I don't want to think about it. Do you think? Possibly, yeah. I think, well, also, uh, and also my, I, I asked him the question. Out of coming out of telling a story about a car, you know, mm-hmm. so we were, it was a light kind of thing. It's not really a deep question, but it's something that requires consideration right. and thought. And if you're not in that mode, I don't think it jarred him. Mm-hmm. I think it was like, oh, okay, we're going to make this left turn. <laughs> and I tried to, and I tried to, the preamble to the question was introducing his mom and that the, the Robert Burns, Robert Burns being her favorite poet, mm-hmm. which is in his act. He quotes that. In mm-hmm. his act. And we, we were between shows. We were working together. So we were right. between shows. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to ask him that because that was interesting to me. Mm-hmm. How does he see him? Um, and I wanted to be able to, on my podcast with my wife and my friend Phil and my friend Mark, I wanted to be able to shoot that question around the room. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and that, that's why I asked it. How do you see yourself? Well, I guess you probably already answered that what? on – but if you shot it around the room, did you already answer that? No, I asked everybody else okay, how, the, how they yeah, see. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't how I see myself. I'm I see myself changing, changing from identifying myself with my work, uh, changing from identifying myself with with the ego, which again is the expression of the art that we produce, mm-hmm. um, and seeing more of. Uh, I, I see myself evolve. I don't know where it's going. Uh, it's going to a bigger place and it's 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 going to a place that's relies less on outcome mm-hmm. um and trying to just stay in that middle path uh and i hope that's where it's going otherwise it's a big black hole and this has been a terrible mistake <laughs> but i i noticed i actually noticed it in dealing with my wife like if my wife is upset or something and this is something i want to talk to you about on, on mm-hmm. my podcast is i'm i'm seeing not what the situation is because I, I, I the husband I, my job as a husband provide protect Provide kill big bugs in the kitchen, <laughs> and and make sure she's happy, safe, and smiling. Because mm-hmm. my wife's got a great smile, mm-hmm. and that that's my applause break when that smile light. it still goes <laughs> right through me, oh. and she knows it. Um, but now, if she's upset about something, I know I don't have to fix it. I just know, oh look, she's upset. Yes. That instinct's coming to me first. Mm. So what it is doesn't really matter. I can fix whatever it is, mm-hmm. or I can calm or whatever it is. The fact that she's upset first is now my instinct is to comfort and then we'll solve. Mm-hmm. First, I wanted to, first I wanted to solve first right. to get you to stop crying because mm-hmm. I don't know how to handle it. Yeah. You know, now it's just comfort, calm, better. Now, this is what we're going to do. That's good. How did you learn that? A lot of mistakes. Yeah. Because, I mean, that's like a very, that's like men are from Mars, women are from Venus type stuff. The idea that, 
a woman just she wants you to listen and she wants to be heard she doesn't want when i'm making gross generalizations but mm. like when men jump into fixing mode then often we don't jump in we never leave fixing right. mode when men right when when someone tries to fix your problem and that it often feels like they're trying to minimize it well that's that's an interpretation of it mm-hmm. um I, I'm not trying to. Yeah, minim- no, no, I'm saying it, fe- it can feel. Like oh, absolutely, that. it can feel like yeah, you're not, not. You're, I'm not being hurt. I'm yeah. upset. I don't give a shit that I'm upset that the dryer broke. I'm upset. Right. You know, we can always get another. You know, but th- I agree. Yeah, because you, you hear like, as- oh, we can just get another dryer, <laughs> and and if you're upset about it, mm-hmm. then what you hear is my grandmother gave me that dryer. <laughs> but you're telling me I'm not supposed to have emotion about yeah, it anymore. Yeah, because because I don't know how to deal with it. Yeah, it's got nothing to do with you. It's right. like fuck. How do I deal with this? You're crying over a dryer. That's <laughs> doesn't compute yeah are you kidding I'm, I'm three generations away from not having a tail all right do you know who you're talking to <laughs> uh so i wait no i'm gonna go back to something you mentioned before the show that you mm. had an awkward story about oh you want to tell you, you want to start? Yes. yeah we're talking about acting gigs i had and you mentioned uh criminal minds mm-hmm. and um there's a story the first time my character had a kiss uh edie uh Edie Falco's character, Nurse Jackie, we had the mm-hmm. first kiss scene, right? And I'm terrified. Love scenes are horrible, all right? They're just, they're awkward, they're scary. Um, and I'm a, I, I was, I had a phobia about my breath being bad. <laughs> so we're, it's just it, me and her, and the set decorations was beautiful. It was, it was set up right on the river, it was right in Queens, it was lights and everything, it was just so romantic. I remember I go, I'm bringing my wife here. Mm-hmm. And I did. I, after the set was over, I went. I said, "Honey, come on, I want to take you to this place." I went there. It was a shitty pier because all <laughs> the set thing. She goes, "What are we? T- am I getting whacked? What are you? Why are you bringing me here? Are we buying drugs?" You know. <laughs> so, so it all looked beautiful. <laughs> so I was very concerned that my breath was going to be bad. Mm. I ate Alison an entire box of Altoids, <laughs> but, they, but they were cinnamon. Oh, okay. So my mouth is numb. Right. So I can't feel anything. Mm. Action! I'm like, she's going to think I kiss like a fish. <laughs> I can't. F- with a <laughs> and I went the wrong way. Uh-huh. I, oh, usually, so I usually go to the left, <laughs> but I went to the right because it was camera. Her camera was here, mm-hmm. so I went to the right, and that's not the way my head turned. <laughs> so it, it was terrible. It, it, you know what it looked like? Remember when you were a kid? I don't know if you had this the, those flamingos that they would have at the bar with the top hats, and they would tip over and drink, and then the oh water, yeah, 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 that's what I looked like. Like I was tipping over. <laughs> Did anyone say anything? No, because it worked for the scene, and mm-hmm. it was it was charming in the scene because it was their first kiss. Right, and he was he was a, a New York City cop, but he was awkward with his feelings, mm-hmm. and it worked for the character. Right, so you played a lot of cops. I do. I, I his and I, actually, this is I have a joke in my act. I, I don't know why. If I was a cop in real life, I'd call for backup for no reason. <laughs> this is car fifty four. I need some backup because I'm feeling kind of vulnerable. <laughs> Please send the canine unit. I like to pet the dog. It suits me. <laughs> um, Adam Farrar, it was so nice to have you on the show. Really enjoyed being here with you. Thank you. I uh, have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Rosen. And some questions came in there, which I'm going to do in a separate little video segment. If okay. you wouldn't mind if I asked you a couple questions I wish I looked phone. better. You look perfect. All right. Uh, tell everyone where they can find your podcast. You can and wherever plug you get, anything you'd like to plug. Wherever you get your podcast, please look for the Adam for our podcast. 30 minutes you'll never get back Allison Rosen will be my guest uh, this Thursday that's right yeah. I can't wait yeah. uh, and 
Why uh-huh. Women Kill is on CBS All Access. Uh, I think you can you can binge watch that. Uh, it stars Lucy Liu, Jennifer Goodwin, uh, Alicia Coppola plays my wife. Uh, I have a nice uh, recurring role on that. That's a lot of fun. Uh, check my tour dates uh, on my website um, for stand updates coming up. And uh, and I thank you for having me. Thank you for being on. You guys follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Allison Rosen. Please come to my various Sketchfest shows, sfsketchfest.com. Listen to my other podcast, Childish. And if you like what you're hearing, uh, subscribe, tell your friends, leave a nice comment, etc. Thank you guys for listening. I love you. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen show? 